Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. What do the Beatles, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr have in common with the Soho Brothers and wildlife conservation in 2021? That's the question we're going to answer on this episode of On the Wing Podcast. And uh, as you would imagine, we don't have... John, Paul, George, and Ringo on this episode, but we do have Josh and Sam Soholt. Fellas, thank you very much for uh, for joining Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. It's it's great to have you um, um, online for this episode, fresh off a of turkey camp. Yeah, thanks for having us on. It's good to be here. Yeah, ab- absolutely a pleasure to be on the podcast today. So... I, I definitely want to hear your backstories and talk about your commitment to conservation. And, and in particular, we're going to talk about conservation crossing. But I'm, I just got done with turkey camp and I got shut out. <laughs> I didn't even hear a gobble. So uh, let's, start, let's start with Josh. I, I keep seeing photos, Sam posts on Instagram of all these gobblers and the public lands, public lands bus, public lands van. What are yep. we going with now? Because it, it, it's a van now, right? The, the primary, um, the primary, yes, mode of uh, transportation and attack is the van. Yep. So tell me about Turkey Camp because it seems like you guys have had success in a variety of different states this year. Yeah, uh, you know, I uh, got going in Colorado for one day before I we headed out a little further east to go find some birds, but. Uh, front range Colorado turkey hunting. I, my nickname for him is the hundred mile turkey. You know, you just, you, you hike a hundred miles and you might get a turkey mm. and you know, I haven't gotten to hundred miles yet. So I haven't got my bird here in Colorado, <laughs> but you know, uh, you head out and chase those Rios out on the plains a little further East and it's, uh, it's a ton of fun and a lot more action. So yeah, I was able to actually take a bird, uh, on my birthday of all things. So that was also kind of fun. So April 27th got mine knocked down out there which was great. But yeah, we went, uh, five tags bought and five tags filled out there wow. last week. So really, uh, um, we had to scrape it together a little bit early in the week. It was, weather was kind of cool and the birds were super turned off, mm. but, uh, you know, and let Sam talk about it a little more, but Sam capped the trip off with, a finally the, the weather turned and the birds heated up and uh, started acting like turkeys again. And Sam was able to close out the last bird in a more traditional sense. So with the decoy scenario, but yeah, we had a great time. We had, uh, uh, Barry from turtleback trailers and, uh, uh, Joe from Savage out there with us kind of goofing off. And, uh, it was just a good time with good people and a tremendous week. We had all the toys set up and camp was super comfortable and nice, even through a gigantic rainstorm that came through. So, um, really a fun, fun week with good people and and our dad joined us as well. So a family affair, uh, in addition, which was great. That is fun. That is. Yeah. 
Um, all right, so I'll go to, to Sam, and I'm looking at you guys are both wearing the public land tees uh, logo caps, and I, I think I failed to even mention that in the intro, that you guys are, are co-owners, brothers and co-owners of public land tees. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, t- Sam, tell me about the more traditional deco- decoy-induced gobbler to cap off the trip. Yeah, so I've been kind of bouncing around uh, chasing turkeys all over the place this spring. And it was Friday was finally the first time I got to watch a turkey act like a turkey is supposed to in the spring. And it was right towards the end of the night. Uh, you know, I'd heard some gobbles in the distance or whatever. Didn't think anyone thing was going to happen. But uh, right towards the last light, I had a couple birds answer uh, a hen call I put out there. And they called back once, gobbled back, and then shut up and it was my dad and I were sitting together and it was just about to just about to pack up and leave and all of a sudden they gobbled right down below us in the creek bottom Hmm. and they were just coming you know so we got to watch them get to the edge of the creek and try to figure out where they wanted to cross and but the whole time they were just focused on those decoys and just you could tell how mad they were and they came jumped across the creek and came up towards the fence and had the one bird that was uh like really just eyeing the decoys and the other one was trying to impress the ladies. He was spitting and drumming and all strutted up and then mm. they, they crossed under the fence and I got too excited and I didn't even let him get all the way to the decoys before I shot one. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but yeah, it was, it was fun because I mean, all spring so far, you know, put birds to bed, go in, get close to the roost and they either pitch down and go the other direction or pitch down, look at the decoys and go the other direction, like not talking back. I mean, it was, it's been a lot of tight-lipped birds this spring until uh, until Friday. So hopefully that has been the, you know, the switch getting flipped, and uh, we're into it's on now. Yeah, more <laughs> more or less thus far, we've just known how to. We just hunted these places long enough to get in their way, you know, <laughs> and you kind of make it happen. But yeah, yeah, fun to have them actually be doing their thing now. So Josh, so you guys have hunted. You mentioned a hundred hundred mile turkey in Colorado. I yeah. believe you've hunted in north dakota and in mm-hmm. montana as well have you been to Mo- minnesota yet not haven't been to minnesota yet yeah uh, got potential plans to hunt there maybe later but josh and i are going to montana next week so yep okay and, yep and eastern montana next week so, so it, it seems like most of the states that you guys are hunting turkeys are sort of a spot and stock kind of strategy whereas in minnesota that's I'm a upland bird hunter by nature, so I, I I can't sit still very long, and I think that that I do a disservice to myself as a turkey hunter because I can't sit still for more than a half hour, and I start to uh, I start to get impatient and, and try to find them. Yeah, and, I, uh, doesn't work so well in Minnesota. Yeah, I would I would say run and gun is probably our our most used technique of just trying to find a bird and then getting out in front and doing a setup and then trying to bring them in, yeah. you know, and obviously trying to put birds to roost and all that as well. But, uh, yeah, certainly a lot of times it's mobile, you know, and a lot of times we're hunting places we've never been before as well. So yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. So our, our audience, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever members, they probably like turkey hunting, but they really want to get to the, to the uplands. Um, tell me about, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking you guys grew up in North Dakota, but I don't know that for a fact. Where, where did you guys grow up? So we grew up in South Dakota, actually. Yep. Oh, you did? So, okay. Yep. So we were, uh, we were very spoiled growing up to live in a, a pretty amazing upland state. Yep. 
Yeah. What what town in South Dakota did you grow up, Sam? So uh, we're both Josh and I are born in Aberdeen, and then uh, we moved down to Sioux Falls when we were pretty young. I think I was four or five, and Josh is four I years older not, than me. Yeah, yep, I was nine. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yep. So, and then uh, yeah, like uh, our our dad, you know, like when he grew up, he was uh, he archery hunted quite a bit, and then with us being born, you know, it's not enough, not a lot of time to go sit in a tree uh, when you got kids running around. So he started doing a lot more upland bird hunting, um, so he could bring us along. And then, Mm. uh, we did a lot of that when we were growing up and, you know, Josh being older than me, like he was, you know, walking fields and hunting with my dad. And then I think I was, you know, like I was going tagging along and walking through fields when I was, uh, you know, way too young, not way too young, but like, couldn't see over anything, you know, like CRP and (laughs) corn stalks are way above my head. And I was just trying to keep up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We, we were both started out where, you know the first thing we carried was like a little cap gun that had Mm -hmm. like little quasi shotgun shells you could load into it. And then, you know, it was always when the birds rise, we were shouldering our cap guns and then shooting the birds as they were leaving. And and then it progressed into a BB gun, you know, and so we were holding something that shot and, uh, Mm -hmm. and we could shoulder the gun and track the birds that way. So, you know, by the time we were 12 years old and could put an actual shotgun in our hands, you know, not only did, was a lot of the safety aspects just drilled into us for the last four or five years of just walking fields, but we already kind of knew how to shoulder the gun and get on a bird. So, but yeah, both dad, that's how dad started both Sam and I out, uh, just to get us as comfortable with, uh, everything, you know, by the time we were ready to be a part of the hunt, as far as the shooting aspect went. And, and I'm assuming Josh, when you're talking about bird hunting is a, kid growing up in Aberdeen, primarily talking about pheasants? Yeah, primarily pheasants. We did some uh, uh, grouse and prairie chicken hunting out in West River, but uh, just by virtue of where we lived, it was it was most of the time pheasant hunting. And what kind of pup did you guys have, Josh? English setters. Uh, when we were um, all the way up until, I guess it was later in high school, we finally got the first lab. But uh, um, yeah, ran English setters for whatever that was, eight, nine years, something like that. But uh, okay. we always had the ones with the red spots, <laughs> but pretty dogs. Yeah. Uh, like a tricolor, brown and black. Uh, just white, uh, just the white and brown, I guess, or white and red, you know, as okay. kind of the, the colored dogs that we had. But yep, had one uh, kind of Tucker was the, the main one that was probably the best one we had. But he was just a... Uh, you know, like they are, they're a bullheaded, stubborn workhorse of a dog that was in the field for only themselves. And you were just kind of lucky, you know, in their eyes to even be in their presence to shoot pheasants over them. So he was totally that kind of dog. And, you know, uh, not until, not until the very end of his life, did he want to have anything to do with you really. Uh. And then, and then he, uh, became a little bit more of a sweetheart as he got older, but he was just a tough, hardworking, big running bird dog. He was cool. But yeah, it would Tucker hold point until you oh, got yeah. there. He was a tremendous pointer. Okay. Uh, the other thing that that dog figured out um, as he got older was you know pheasants run. I mean they just uh-huh. get up and go, and um, he kind of worked out how to. He would get on something and he would push out around it and pin it to you. Mm. Um, he kind of had he worked that out later later in his his life where when they got going on him and he knew it, you'd see him just peel off to the right or left and just sprint for 80, 90 yards and then come work the bird back to you, which is, was amazing to watch. I mean, yep. just very cool. But yeah, that's next level. There's like 
maybe 10% of bird dogs that evolved to that level yeah. where they can pin a rooster between yeah. the hunter and them. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah. seeing him do that was just, it was uh, the first few times it happened. We're like, holy smokes. Cause they get on <laughs> get birdie and then take off running. And initially your, your thought is to yell at them, you know, cause they're, yeah. they're leaving shotgun range. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden he swung back and nailed that thing. And I was like, Oh, okay. You're, <laughs> wow. You're better than we thought you were. <laughs> so, but yeah. So that was cool. Is it, Sam, did you guys see a lot of English setters growing up in, in South Dakota? Cause I, I definitely, you know, gr I grew up in Michigan and live in Minnesota. I see English setters all over the grouse woods mm -hmm. on occasion. I see them out pheasant hunting, but not, not super frequently. Yeah, no, it, it, it wasn't a ton. You know, we had, we had our setters and then, um, uh, most of the people that we hunted with were running different dogs. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, not a, not a ton of them out in South Dakota, but, um, as Josh was talking about hunting and stuff, I just thought of one story. So obviously I'm four years younger than him. And, uh, there was one trip that we were getting ready to go on. It was like, I don't I don't think it was the very first trip I ever got to go, but there was always a, uh, hunting camp that, uh, that my, that my dad and brother got to go to for a while before I got to go. And so I finally got to go and, um, we were packing up the Bronco and getting it all ready. And, you know, I needed to grab my boots and Josh was like, Oh, I already got your boots. Like, or, like I already packed. And was that my fault? Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't remember that was my fault. Yep. So I, <laughs> I was like, I gotta grab my boots. You're like, they're already in there. So, uh, so I, I always use hand-me-down stuff, you know, obviously. Uh -huh. So, um, we got to camp, pulled the boots out. Well, I always just used Josh's older, like older gear. Cause it, you know, all fit me after he grew out of it. Well, here in the truck were, uh, two left boots. And so one was, <laughs> one, one was too big and one was the right size, fortunately. Uh, so, but yeah, they called me old left turn all weekend. Cause uh, <laughs> I, had, I, had to wear, I had to wear a left footed boot on my right foot. And, uh, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and how old were you? Oh, I, I mean, I wasn't old enough to shoot, so I must have been eight or nine, something like that. Just okay. Yep. Yeah. yep. <laughs> uh, that's terrific. It, if you were like sixteen, that would have scarred you for life. You're like, oh yeah, you're only like, yeah, yeah. Just fortunate that the wrong foot was the bigger one. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, because if it was the other way, that'd have been a way worse day. Yeah. Way just to find the silver lining there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I, that's, that was news to me that I packed your boots. I forgot about that. Part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tell me about dad. Uh, you, you guys both have talked about dad taking you out hunting. You dad was in Turkey camp. Um, mm -hmm. um, it's, it feels like, um, hunting is pretty uh, connected to you as a family. So Sam, tell me about, tell me about your dad. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, growing up, he was, uh, like, he was always a hunter. Like, so we, uh, you know, we always looked up to him, like kind of being the guy that got us into it and really like instilled all those values of like, you know, like being a good hunter and learning about the craft and, you know, and, um, yeah, it's just, but like, I can't remember a time that we, that there wasn't some hunting related something going on because of him. And so mm. he, he definitely, you know, like helped, get us inspired to do it like to the point <laughs> where both of us have now, you know, picked careers like that have always been related to, to hunting. So, um, yeah. 
yeah, pretty big part of our, our upbringing. And did, did mom hunt too? So she came along, uh, every once in a while, but no, she was not, hmm. uh, not a, a hunter per se. So she didn't grow up in a family that really hunted all that much. And, and then, uh, I think when, uh, our mom and dad were dating, I think she, uh, came along a few times. And then as, as soon as they got married and stuff, I think that, uh, slowed down quite a bit, but okay, yeah. Yep. Yeah. She actually, uh, you know, we would go along and then our sister would go along too. So like, you know, we'd be out with dad hunting all weekend. And there was at one point, I don't remember, must've been towards the end of the year of the the fall or whatever. And our mom was like, can't you just leave the kids home for one, one weekend? <laughs> Cause we were always gone. And, uh, you know, she was at home without us. But. Mm. Uh, where's your sister live these days? So Molly She's is a, a, yeah, go ahead, Josh. Oh, she's at uh, OB doc in uh, Salt Lake City. Okay. Yep. All right. And, and Josh, I know you you live in Colorado now. Tell yep. me about uh, you know growing up in South Dakota, and then where where college and life and schooling took you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I guess through my through my whole life, you know, my favorite part of being in town was leaving. Um, you know, just getting out into the field and, and hunting everything I could. I it was, um, if, if I could do it, I would, I was out, you know, four to six days a week, whether it be after school or whatever, you know, just chasing something. I mean, it's just always kind of been in there. And, uh, when it was time to leave, you know, home, go f- do my own thing in, in college and then career, I, I didn't really care where I went to college. I just wanted to be able to hunt elk from that location. <laughs> um, and that was, that was literally it. Uh, so I, I was kind of looking at Montana and Wyoming and Wyoming was about, I don't know, not even half the cost of going to Montana. So I went to university of Wyoming and the following weekend was in the elk woods with a new buddy and eventual business partner and life friend that, uh, we were elk hunting the first weekend at school. He was a Wyoming resident and had tags and I just bummed around with him that first fall. Hmm. Um, and then got it going. But, um, yeah, I've just, it hasn't really mattered what the, I don't think either Sam or I would consider ourselves a specialist in any particular aspect of hunting. We enjoy hunting on a broad spectrum from doves to moose. I mean, it doesn't matter anything in the mm. middle. Um, we'll jump in and have a great time with. So, and, it, and it, you know, a lot of it was just growing up, uh, being exposed to a lot of it through, through dad. So, okay. and but yeah, then uh, lived in Northwest Wyoming for a couple of years, then Idaho, and then moved to Colorado to start a, a backcountry mountain hunting pro shop that I ran for about 10 years with uh, with the college roommate that I started elk hunting with uh, that first weekend in college. So yeah, uh, and then that kind of transitioned into a few different things and, and here we are. So, yeah. yeah. So I, we'll get to Public <clears throat> Lands Tees, the, the company you, you both own together, but Sam, tell me your your story from, from South Dakota to, to schooling. Yeah. So in, when we both lived in South Dakota, like, uh, you know, I always got to go hunt with my big brother. So because he was four years older, our parents were willing to let me go tag along. So we hunted a lot together and, you know, started in upland stuff and then really transitioned into waterfowl hunting after Josh had gone on a, uh, a youth duck hunt one weekend with another buddy. And then, like basically lived and breathed waterfowl hunting, uh, until 
he left for college. So Josh chose college based on elk hunting and I still had the waterfowl bug bad. So I chose my college based on proximity to amazing duck and goose hunting. So I went to North Dakota state in, uh, in Fargo and, uh, and then did four years to jump in. We both graduated college. Yeah, <laughs> we, 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 did. We, we did also do that <laughs> so, with degrees yeah. in uh, elk hunting. Yeah, with, the, uh, yeah, with <laughs> actual, you know, uh, yes, with, with actual college degrees. So, yes. Anyway, yes, Sam, we continue. Did, we, did, Sorry. we did make it through. But uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, as college, you know, went on, you know, like I, I know a lot of people who kind of like start to hunt less as like as they get older mm -hmm. as college goes on so I, I was the opposite I started hunting more and especially when I got into grad school like I uh, was still on the track team and uh, was going into grad school but I had all night classes and so mm. I f figured out and uh, and right before I started grad school I had gone out uh, the year before I had gone out and and hung out with Josh and Tyler on an elk hunt out in Wyoming and Josh had been trying to convince me that he's like, man, there's a lot of whitetail around Fargo. Like, you know, you should get yourself a bow. You should start deer hunting. You should do it, you know? And I was just like, so focused on, you know, waterfowl hunting. Well, then I went out to Wyoming and, you know, got to see a bunch of elk and got to experience the mountains and do this whole thing. And I basically drove 14 hours home, slept overnight, and then walked into Shields the next day and bought a bow. <laughs> and so, so then that next fall I was, uh, hunting four or five days a week, uh, was on the track team and doing grad school, but I was, I would duck hunt in the morning sometimes, or I would, if it was, you know, the weather was right, I'd go sit in a tree stand and like, um, so I kept myself pretty busy, but, uh, but yes, I, I made it through college, made it through grad school. <laughs> um, but because of kind of the inspiration from Josh to start archery hunting, um, that very first fall, I had total beginner's luck and, and ended up shooting two bucks within about 10 days uh, during the rut, one in North Dakota, one in South Dakota. And so I'm just, you know, cloud nine jacked up about archery hunting and had always had an interest in, in film photography, uh, more on the film side, but I started cold calling and cold emailing anyone I could find a contact info for at any hunting show. Uh, I mean, I think at one point I emailed like my resume and whatever, like pitch to like info at outdoorchannel.com or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> who knows? Like, but I, I, and then I ended up getting an internship with Midwest Whitetail down in Southern Iowa and then went and did that and learned a lot about video production and, and, uh, and shooting and like creating content. And then, um, when that internship ent ended, uh, actually moved out to Colorado and lived with Josh and, uh, my sister-in-law, Kate and, we worked together at Josh's shop and, um, yeah, worked there for almost a year before I moved up to Montana as a sales rep, um, for a bunch of hunting and fishing gear. Okay. And yeah. then you moved back to North Dakota, if I recall correctly, cause your, your wife has a real good job in, in the Fargo area. Yes. Am I remembering yep. that right? Yep. Yep. My wife is a occupational therapist. And so she, uh, finished grad school, I guess almost two years ago now. And then got a job in Fargo. Uh, she had done a rotation at the hospital there. So yeah, she got a great job. And for me, it doesn't really matter where I live since I travel so much and bounce around all the time. Um, so yeah, back in Fargo at this point. Okay. And, which is why in my mind, you guys were from North Dakota mm -hmm. rather than, than South Dakota. And, yep. uh, <clears throat> it would have been great to have you in um, in Sioux Falls at, at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic I know. Uh, outside yeah. of COVID. But yeah. Um, you'll, you'll 
you'll be uh, happy to know we're we're going back there. Oh, <laughs> so, good. Yeah, because yeah. believe us, we were we were so excited to have it in Sioux Falls because yeah. you know it's it's not as big of a network anymore, but like we still know, right. you know, our parents still live in Sioux Falls and have a, a pretty big mm -hmm. network of people we know just in the area. It would have been really fun to, you know, have the bus and the van and everything in the in the uh, event center down there and and uh, be raising money for conservation. That's okay. Right. Yeah. Well, I think um, it's not really letting the cat out of the bag. 2024 is when you want to make sure you get your, your calendar locked in for okay. uh, Sioux Falls. <laughs> Perfect. Cool. All right. Public land tease. Um, so I don't know who should take the lead on how this, this uh, business came together. I guess we'll start with Sam. How did, how did public lands tease, public land tease, come together as a business partnership between you and Josh? Yeah. So it kind of evolved for a long time. You know, uh, Josh and I, when Josh was running the store, uh, we had talked about potentially doing like an apparel side of things, you know, like a hunting lifestyle, um, apparel brand of some type to go either go along with the store or standalone or whatever it was. Um, and then, you know, over the years, it just kind of, you know, went to the back burner and, uh, and that's where like the, the bus idea also came from was Josh mm. had thought about doing a bus for like, uh, using it as a marketing tool for Gannett Ridge, which was the shop at the time, you know, and then it evolved into, you know, it could potentially be like a traveling archery shop. Um, since they're, mm. you know, in the, in the surrounding area, there weren't a lot of archery shops outside of Fort Collins. Um, and then I was the one dumb enough to actually buy a bus and turn it into a, a rolling uh, hunting camp with the idea of tying it to the public land awareness, uh, conservation mm. awareness stuff. And so, uh, but as the bus project got rolling, it seemed like the perfect time to also start this idea we had had before with this uh, lifestyle hunting apparel brand as a way to raise money to give back to, you know, raising awareness. Sure. That's, that's great. And that the education part of it was very necessary to like help, people in the hunting industry and outside the hunting industry understand how important our public land system is and conservation. But we wanted to find a way to give back to all the organizations that are out there every single day, uh, lobbying on behalf of sportsmen and women uh, across the country. So it, uh, it only seemed fitting to like, you know, got this giant billboard of a bus to then do the apparel business at the same time. And so Josh and I sat down one night in his living room and, and uh, just kind of threw ideas back and forth on name and it was originally going to be one name. And then we landed on public land tees. Um, and just like, I remember sitting there and going on Google domains and buying the domain and then we were rolling. It was, uh, just, yeah, got it all fired up. Yep. And just kind of the way our lives were at that time, you know, Sam, Sam was kind of wild and free at that point and could just jump in a bus and spend 180 <laughs> days out on the road or whatever. And, I was married and, and kids were around and, and just life was different. So, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the, and the natural, honestly, uh, positioning of this with Sam out there doing the advertising and kind of being the figurehead and the face of it all on all this stuff. And I'm, uh, I kind of run the back end of it with the production of all the uh, apparel I do. And then, uh, all the shipping and kind of the back end business side I uh, can do from home. So, uh, but that just works because I got to be home a little more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. You know, so first off, on behalf of Peasants Forever and Quail Forever, 
you know, thank you for having that philosophy right from the get-go. I mean, it's really, there's a lot of companies out there that sort of speak about conservation, but you guys led with conservation before it was even, I don't know, the, the, the cool thing to do. I mean, it's very authentic, um, yeah. it, very much connected to who Public Land Tees is as a brand or as a company. Mm -hmm. So. Thank you. Where do you think that comes from? Is that, it, it, is there a connection there with your, you know, schooling, your dad? Where do you tie up conservation back to? I think that if you spend your life doing this stuff, uh, eventually it progresses in your mind to where you, you know, you take a lot, you know, you go out and you hunt and you, you, you mm. take animals and you, you're a consumer of this amazing lifestyle. Um, and I think that if you do it long enough, I think there's just a switch that kind of happens where all of a sudden you as you're, as you're out taking animals that, you know what, hmm. it's probably time if, if I'm really into this, I got to start feeding the, feeding the system back again, mm. you know, and, and creating more, you know, than, than taking. And, and I think that just maybe hit both of us at about the same time, uh, in life and, I think we're both really proud of the fact that the first ever product we sold uh, was the day we started donating. You know, mm. it was it was off the off square one. It wasn't well. When we get to this point, we can start to think about philanthropy mm -hmm. and and giving. It's it was from from sale number one. You know, so it was just. But yeah, I think that I, I know that you talk about tying it back to our you know the history and I, I think it was it was definitely you know from dad's leadership in the sport i remember asking him one time what was his favorite day of hunting ever you know mm. and i figured i was going to get some grand tale about some animal that he'd, he'd gotten and he said you know it was the day i realized i could go hunting and have a good day and not shoot anything mm. and he and that was his favorite day and you know it was so i got the the fortunate opportunity and sam got the fortunate opportunity to sort of live that ideal from a much younger age mm. you know where this is, this is about a lot more than the end day goal, you know, of, of, of the, that limit or, or whatever, or tagged out animal that, you know, and I think it's from that position that these things sort of naturally seemed attractive to work on, you know, mm -hmm. and, and to help with and to hopefully see more animals and better habitat and more access as we continue this pursuit. So it, the first thing that really we're, we're you guys in particular public land tees uh splashed onto the scene at least in my consciousness was stamp it forward uh sam tell maybe you guys existed for years before that but that's when it was like oh who who are these guys this is awesome tell tell us about stamp it forward sam yeah so uh so we originally launched public land tees in august of 2017 and year one was like year one is where, uh, you know, all of our friends bought shirts and a few, a few people that we talked to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, kind of, kind of as we grew and like, as we, we talked more about the brand or whatever, we started to try to come up like kind of the, the mission behind public land tees is to with, with every, every item we sell at least $5 goes back to conservation. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we try to figure out ways to maybe think outside the box a little bit from the, you know, the general conservation funding of the past, you know, both of us went to school for business. And so, you know, we both 
uh, probably have a lot of strange ideas before one actually hits the table. Um, but we like to pitch stuff back and forth about, you know, like, oh, what if we did this? Or what if we did this? Or maybe this would work. Or maybe we could, you know, like position this in a different way. So Stamp It Forward came from, one, like, just kind of our, like, history of growing up waterfowl hunters. Um, mm-hmm. And then and then two, like, as you really dive into the conservation side of things, you realize that there's only a few really big tools out there in place um, that raises money for conservation. And one of those is the duck stamp. And it was a kind of a perfect coupling between like our love of waterfowl hunting and the impact that the duck stamp has not only on migratory bird species, but species in general, like just the overall uh, like habitat, wildlife management, herds, Mm -hmm. like across the board. And so stamp it forward, started as like the original idea was to, okay, we're going to, you know, work with a bunch of quote unquote influencers to help, you know, just encourage people, whether you duck hunt or not to go buy a duck stamp. Um, But that just didn't seem like it was going to, like we've watched campaigns like that before. And it just doesn't seem like it has quite enough push. So uh, the concept we came up with was we just asked people to send us money directly. And that's, I know that's, (laughs) bizarre like you know and you and honestly i had my doubts yeah. <laughs> yeah. i really did i'm with you josh i would have been skeptical like, too. like we're just we're just gonna have us ven we're just gonna have them venmo me money like, <laughs> yeah yeah, really? so, oh, yeah no kidding yeah, yeah. great idea so, little brother yeah, you're right yeah, yeah. Oh, no, there, was, there was definitely some resistance because because year um, one I, like from from final idea to rollout was like eight days yeah it was <laughs> and, wow. yeah and so i called josh and i was like all right here's what i'm thinking i'm gonna have venmo and paypal and i'm just gonna ask people to send money we'll buy the you know we'll put in 2500 dollars initially and then we'll try you know try to get people to either match that donation and then have individuals put in and i was like and with every single dollar we get we'll go buy more duck stamps and then we'll start giving them away at a later date and he's like i don't know <laughs> so anyway we went we went for it and uh, uh, so I kind of recorded myself driving around and buying the first hundred stamps. And then um, it was it was awesome because I made I made four phone calls that uh, like right away when like right before the project launched. So called Savage Arms, called Boss Shot Shells, uh, Vortex Optics and um, Gerber Gear. So but all four companies were like, yep, we're in. Sign us up. We'll match that first hundred donation. So immediately we had you know, th- that 500 stamps right away off the bat, um, which I was able to like announce as we went and, but like launch the project and the, the people believed in it. People lo- like just people really grabbed onto that concept. And I think from individuals alone that first year, it was like $9,000 was donated through PayPal and Venmo that w- just came to the account and we just put it in and went out and bought more stamps. Um, and I think that's just attributing to the, great community that this sport has, mm-hmm. you know, it's just people, people want to make it better. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, uh, that's true, but there's still a level of shock there, right? I mean, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. We were, we were blown away by the response and, you know, as it went in year one, you know, more companies jumped on board, tethered, you know, it also donated another hundred stamp donation. And then there was a bunch of people that did like 10 stamp donations or 20 stamp donations um, and ended up being able to purchase just over a thousand duck stamps in year one of stamp it forward. Wow. Um, you know, and then 
we tried to do our best to get be a little bit more organized for year two and ended up uh, just shy, like over a 50% increase in going into year two and wow. raised enough money to do, um, it was like 1,583 stamps, I think was the final total on stamps that we purchased this year. So, um, yep. you know, between year one and year two, what is that? Uh, it's like close to 65,000, uh, for the duck stamp program. Wow. And, and by law that, you know, 98% of those funds have to go straight to the ground. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. It's very cool. And you know, uplanders know this, you know, and a lot of those, uh, waterfall production areas that are mm-hmm. purchased with duck stamps, obviously they're wonderful for water quality, for, for ducks, for geese, for cranes, but there's most of the time associated uplands for because a lot of ducks nest in the uplands and that, yeah. that creates a lot of habitat for pheasants and, you know, in the South for quail and huns and sharpies. And uh, y- y- like you say, 98% of all the dollars raised for through the duck stamp goes to create habitat. There's, there's nothing better in this country from a conservation perspective than the duck stamp. I'm assuming Somebody at the Department of Interior has called you and said, "This is awesome, guys. Thank you." Is that did it, have you heard from anybody at the, at the federal level? That hasn't happened yet. Really? <laughs> well, you know, I guess the only interaction that we've had was at Pheasant Fest in the in the cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they came up to the the bus display and everything, and and uh, had some acknowledgement there, which was pretty cool. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks to thanks to Pheasant Fest and Pheasants Forever, we <laughs> yeah, were able to actually speak with the Department of Interior. Well, I, yeah. I, I got to believe if, if you know, they were to chart all the post offices across the country and how many duck stamps that they sell, yep. it, you guys might be the top, quote unquote, post office, like sa- sales um, location for duck stamps in the whole country. I mean, those numbers I, I, are massive. Yeah, I, I think we skewed, the, we skewed the results a bit for my area. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but, did, but through that, oh, go ahead. Well, I was curious when it, um, are you planning to do it in 2021 and when will it kick off? We are definitely doing it in 2021, uh, trying to figure out when exactly to kick it off. There's, we've thrown around a couple of different ideas. Um, but yeah, we don't have a, a hard date yet. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, what's, it's, Go ahead, oh. Sam. Now, I was just going to say one of the, the coolest things that's happened through that that program was uh, how many people have, when they go buy their own duck stamp, they have started to purchase additional in addition to donating or purchasing a shirt or whatever it might be. Um, and so, like, people just, just had no idea. Like, they just, you know, saw it as, you know, okay, it's just something I need to go hunting. They didn't see it as this tool for conservation that, that sends all that money back to the ground. So, um yeah, that's been really cool. And we had one, um, we were on a hunt down in Arizona and one of the guys that works for the game and fish down there, um, he was like, man, that's gotta be like one of the coolest, like hunting recruitment programs I've ever seen. And I was like, Mm. both Josh and I were like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, I heard from a ton of my friends that went, they donated, but then they would go buy a shirt from you guys and get that duck stamp. And they already had one. And so they would give it to a buddy that they were bringing along for their first time hunting or give, you know, like, bringing along somebody who hasn't hunted in a long time. So that it's been, it's been really fun to have like all of the, like hear all of the stories from the back end coming mm-hmm. back after that project. And, yeah. and not to Josh, have you open your, your books, 
but I'm assuming by leading with the conservation um, ethic and having the stamp forward program that it, like a lot of people were like me, they didn't really know about you until stamp it forward. And then all of a sudden I'm assuming your, your, your sales took off too. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, it is. Uh, it was definitely a, a good, a good growth, uh, you know, aspect for the company. Um, but and the cool part of that is, is, is that as it grows, you know, it's, it's kind of a double down, you right. know, every, everything bought is additional money into the, the conservation effort and, and what we're doing and, and who we're funding and the projects we're looking at. So, uh, it's, it's a fun space to be in, yeah. you know, it's, uh, right along with our passions and, um, it, it's, it's just fun to have something so centered around giving it back and, and spending more time in the woods or the field. And speaking of doubling down, I remember, you know, when we talked to you about being part of Pheasant Fest, Sam, you know, we're, we're creating this new public lands pavilion connected to our build a wildlife area program. And we talked about how everybody that has a booth in the public lands pavilion is going to, a contribution of what they sell is going to go to build a wildlife. And you're like, oh yeah, we're in, we'll do that. Plus our normal. And, and, you know, we're, well, I'll announce it right now. Um, August 6th is going to be the land dedication for the Cupido WMA in Western Minnesota. It's got prairie chickens on it. It's got pheasants. You guys will be happy. There's waterfall there. Um, and you guys through public land teas and a whole bunch of other companies help put that, um, on the public lands map for everybody to hunt. All so right. uh, it, that's a, that's a pretty cool Testament again, that you guys have contributed um, not only, um, you know, the, the normal, but you again went above and beyond and, and doubled down on it. So thank you. Um, I, I, as I, I've got the website up publiclandtees.com and I have my own personal favorites, but I'm curious what's, what's the number one seller. Um, that uh, you know, t-shirt or hoodie. What what should people go check out as the you know the most popular design that you guys have? So certainly the uh, the meat company design with uh, with the elk and the whitetail uh, are are probably our two front runners, and then the November design and that rooster design uh, does really well, mm. uh, which is which is fun. So, yep. There were lots of uh, rooster, lots of rooster designs at Pheasant Fest. The other one, yes. I, I was, I was thinking the bird dog was going to be pretty high up there because that's a, that's kind of a classic design. It is, and I, you know, and I think for, uh, for the upland crowd, I, you know, I can always tell what guys, are, what people are into when they buy, you know, because <laughs> we are kind of spread out throughout the different aspects of hunting, and sure. um, you know, you all of a sudden we get an order for a bird dog hoodie and a pheasant t-shirt and a bird dog mug. Oh, there's there's, there's an upland guy, sure. you know, <laughs> you know what, what camp they're in, uh, when the orders come through. Yep. It, and you guys, uh, have a couple classic designs too. um, classic in the set, like your proper property boundary hoodie. Yep. It looks like something would be right off a U.S. forest service yep. website and then the duck hunt hoodie. So for anybody <laughs> that grew up in the eighties, that that's, you know, that's gotta be 
Well, that one and the fish taco are two of the most entertaining ones to me. Yeah. And and definitely if you know you're looking to get into conversation by wearing a shirt, those two are the front runners. Yeah. You know, every every time I'm wearing one of those two shirts around, I get comments, I get people asking what it is, you know. Uh the fish taco, it's usually just a kind of a good chuckle, basically. Uh-huh. Uh and then the um the uh, property boundary tea always always has a conversation associated with it. You know, people wonder, cause it is a national forest boundary sign yep. uh, is what that sign is. And then it kind of has a, your, your land behind this, this sign. And, and it starts the, some of those conversations about access and about keeping public land public. So uh, yeah, those are good tools in that sense. Josh, are you a graphic designer? Or do you have um, folks that help design some of this stuff? I'm not, we, uh, we we do hire out the uh, the artwork. We come up with the concepts and and kind of draw it out in a very crude manner, and then we let professional people uh, <laughs> make it look really nice for us. Yeah. Uh, but I do uh, I do all the silk screen printing and and all of that stuff. Is those kind of the uh, the ma- the manufacturing side really is uh, is what I'm doing. Awesome. Yeah. But, and yeah. and honestly, if anybody listening to this is a graphic designer, like we are always working with new people on different designs because just like us, like we have different ideas and there's different mm-hmm. people that are good at certain types of graphic design and certain things we're looking for or whatever. So we have about five or six guys that we've been working with over the past um, four years. And so, yeah, if anybody's out there that, you know, is a graphic designer and would want to do some work for conservation, we're always willing to have that conversation. And how should they reach out to you, Sam, if that's something that they're interested uh, social media is good. Like either the public land tees pages or my Instagram or Josh's Instagram. That's probably the easiest way to reach us. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of design, um, I, so I teased to begin this, uh, episode about what does public land tees have to do with John, Paul, George, and Ringo. And I didn't know this until we were talking a couple weeks ago on, on a K fan interview that um, the design for Conservation Crossing is sort of a tip of the cap to uh, Abbey Road album cover. So who who came up with this concept, Sam? So uh, one of the graphic designers that we that we work with, his name's Hunter Spencer. uh, Awesome guy. He actually um, like out of the blue, like we were Josh and I were planning on doing for year two of Stamp It Forward, we were planning on doing like a kind of a duck stamp related design. And before we could even like reach out to anybody about working on it, he reached out to us and was like, Hey, I've got this concept for a stamp it forward um, shirt. And he sent over a, like, basically, I mean, for me personally, basically what I had had in my head, like, but even better, you know, he put his own Mm. twist on it. And so reached out to him, reached out to him about this project and told him what we were going to be doing and who we were working with and kind of a, a few ideas that we had had about like the design um, and this is one of the, or I'm wearing it right now. It's a, um, but one of the concepts that he came back with and both Josh and I thought that that was pretty cool and pretty, you know, like it just, it worked for kind of the message we were trying to get across and involved all the groups involved in the, uh, in the project. So, um, yeah, just if for anybody listening, it looks a lot like the Abbey road cover, but instead of, uh, you know, the beetles walking across, we've got, uh, several animals crossing. So we've got a, a duck and a bear and a mule deer and a, a big strut and Tom, and then finally a flushing pheasant on the right side. So. And you mentioned the designer's name is Hunter. Yep. Hunter Spencer is his name. Okay. So that's yep. fitting. It um, is. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you asked Hunter if the 
animals, birds are supposed to be representative of each band member of the Beatles for any particular reason in his mind? You know, I never did ask him, but I but I'll I'll ask him, and so you can put it in the show notes and see. Because <laughs> I have asked. So for for listeners, uh, let, let's just say John Lennon is the pheasant, right? Um, mm-hmm. Ringo Starr is the turkey. How much more fitting Makes could sense. that be? Uh, <laughs> the, the one that I always struggle with: Paul McCartney is the mule deer, which I don't know about that. George Harrison is the bear. That. To, that makes perfect sense. I mean, he's the furriest of the Beatles, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and then, and then the, you know, as an inside joke to my my former co-worker and buddy, Brad Heidel, Delta Waterfall, you know, the, the fifth member of the Beatles is the duck. So they're the last. Mm-hmm. So we'll just say that that's Pete Best, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're careful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> organizations together man. (laughs) (laughs) well i i think it's just a really really fun design so uh conservation crossing tell us about conservation crossing sam so uh conservation crossing is is another idea that has evolved for a long time and josh and i have always tried to figure out um it stemmed from a conversation i had with one of our customers uh a long time ago um and he was just trying to he's like i just want to become a member of a bunch at once, you know, like, and, Mm. and, uh, but like there was, there's nowhere you can really do that. And so, but you know, like all things in this, in our company, we like to put our own twist on it. So this was conservation crossing is a way for people to streamline their involvement in conservation in a big way. And so the way it works is the conservation crossing t-shirt is $125, which I know seems crazy, but, uh, if you buy the shirt, you get obviously the shirt and a matching decal, and you automatically become a member of Pheasants Forever, National Wild Turkey Federation, Mule Deer Foundation, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and Delta Waterfowl. So, and we really worked on picking those different organizations to work with because we wanted to kind of encompass the country mm-hmm. as a whole as far as you know conservation-based initiatives. So you're helping you know, across the board, different you know, Western big game and you're helping, you know, obviously upland and waterfowl and, and turkeys. And, yeah. and, and then you have BHA as the advocacy group. Like it, we really wanted to, um, uh, kind of all it, the herds you know. and birds. Yeah, you exactly. Know. Yep. So, um, but yeah, anybody who buys a shirt automatically becomes a member, a one-year member of all five organizations. And the cool thing they you know that, um, pheasants forever and everybody else did is if you're already a member of one of those organizations you it it just renews or extends your current membership um so really an easy way for people to uh, give back a whole pile of funding and get involved in conservation in a big way yeah right on it so i'll i'll reiterate that point if folks are listening and they're already a member of pheasants forever say their membership's good till june of 2022 you can still purchase this Conservation Crossing t-shirt and membership at publiclandtees.com. And we'll tack on a full year onto the end of your membership expiration date. So you'd be good till June of 2023. Uh, It doesn't screw up anything with your current membership. It just adds on another year. And that's awesome that Mule Deer Foundation, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Delta Waterfall, 
and um, National Wild Turkey Federation all doing the exact same thing. And, and like you say, you know, I think Josh said from bird to herd. <laughs> so, yeah, for all the herd, all the herds and all the birds. All the herds yep. and all the Every, birds. All of them get a little bit of effect here. So, well, fellas, that's, that's thank you. Yeah, you know, I I don't know. You know, if you you think about Stamp It Forward and the Public Lands Pavilion and the contributions you make with every sale, Conservation Crossing, um, I, I don't know that the industry thanks you guys enough for leading with this ethos of give it back before you even earn it. I mean, I, I, coming from a guy that says, well, just ask them to send us money and then we'll go buy ducks there. So you got, you got a really uh, positive outlook on the world and the community and that's wonderful. But um, that it's awesome that you guys have given so much back uh, from such an early point in, in this business model. You know, I'll point out to folks again, you can join five organizations, Pheasants Forever, Mule Deer Foundation, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, National Wild Turkey Federation, Delta Waterfall, um, and get this Abbey Road Riff t-shirt, which is awesome in and of itself. And there's a there's only a limited quantity of these too, right? You guys made, yep. I think, a thousand and then they're done, right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. So doing a limited run. And then on top of that, we have worked with some other partners to do really cool prizes for anybody that does pick it up. So we have uh, huge grand prizes from uh, Vortex Optics, which you get a optics package and a apparel shopping spree. Um, BF Goodrich is throwing in a set of tires for your rigs or for your hunting rigs. So if you need uh, you know a new set of tires, um, we've got Yeti threw in a massive prize package. Um, so it's coolers and you know other gear that they make. Um, Onyx Maps did a really cool one. So they are doing a lifetime elite membership. So it's all 50 states, um, all of the public and private landlines, all of the overlays, all that mm. stuff for life. Yeah. And then finally, the uh, the last giant prize is a decked drawer system for your for your rig. So um, yeah, just, you know, can't thank those companies enough for, for jumping on board and kind of helping support this project and sharing about it um, and, you know, helping anybody who is willing to jump in on this conservation project to you know, have a chance at winning some pretty, pretty amazing gear. Yeah. And well, you also can just look at the nuts and bolts of it too. You're joining five organizations, $125 and get a shirt. I mean, if you were to join those five organizations independently, you'd be spending a heck of a lot more money because they're $35. I think they're all $35 each, right? And mm -hmm. at this, um, with this uh, combo, you're basically getting it $25 for five memberships each and then, and the t-shirt and the chance on all these prizes. And, you know, you're, you're part of a limited community, a thousand that you could um, participate. So it's, it's really a fun concept. I've, we've had a lot of people reach out to Pheasants Forever and just say, this is really cool. And, and hopefully we're helping drive some of those thousand sales. Uh, uh, Cause you know, during this pandemic and COVID, when so many of our organizations haven't been able to hold chapter banquets and, and membership events, a thousand members is a big flipping deal. So, fellas, that that's really cool. Thank you. Yep, you bet. What's next? Do you guys you have other, uh, another concept in in the works? I, obviously, stamp it forwards the next one um, as you, as we had 
from spring to summer towards fall. Um, you noodling around some other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Sam and I have another five-day brainstorming session that's <laughs> going to be happening in eastern Montana trying to call gobblers <laughs> in. So, you know, who knows what we'll come up with. You know, it's always something in the hopper. What's your uh, what? What do your guys' hunting seasons look like for the fall ahead? Have you put in for for tags and got your calendars lined up with trips already? We'll start. We'll start with Josh. Sure, I, I think we're in uh, uh, waiting for results back on a lot of the big game stuff. But uh, we are going moose hunting in September uh, up in Alaska. That is on the, the list this year. Very excited about that. That'll be Sam and I. Well, I guess you've you've held a moose tag before on a camera job, but I was never up to that. that <laughs> yeah, it yeah. Was, I was, I was, oh, yeah, I was man, third if, in line on a moose hunt. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I I haven't held a moose tag, so it'll be fun to go do that experience. And then, uh, yeah, chasing chasing muleys and and sharp tails. We always add in a little sharp tail day or two mm. during that trip. Uh, they are fun birds to hunt. Yep. <laughs> I just love chasing sharp tails. But uh, yeah, so that and then uh, I don't know if we're antelope hunting this year or not. We'll kind of see how the beginning of the year goes. But I'll probably go chase a bear around for a few days and then white tail. In you'll probably hunt two states, Sam. I think I'm only going to hunt one state for white tails this year. Um, go back home to do that one, and then it's uh, chasing geese and i have a late season elk tag hopefully this year that'll actually draw and uh geese and ducks and whatever else we get into when we're in those places so yeah yep. sam you got any you got a few others yeah I'm, uh i think i'll probably at least put in for one antelope tag um and try to try to sneak in a few days there you know it's uh, the nice thing about antelope uh, so spot and stock antelope is, uh, after about three days, if I haven't shot one, I'm pretty much tore up from like my feet to my head from mm. cactus and, and whatever. So I, you know, I, I get about three to four days in antelope hunting and that's about enough, uh, to rehone my spot and stock skills. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the moose, moose hunts, the big one, which will be a blast, you know, we'll be up, go up mid September and be there till the end of the season. And then October we'll chase mule deer together. And, and then, um, yeah, probably chasing, whitetail in a couple different states and then yeah waterfowl and pheasants so i think uh you know did a little trip with matt morlock and some of the guys from pheasants forever and nrcs last year and in, in south dakota and uh i think well i had a great time i hope they had you know i think we all had a pretty good time and so i'm guessing there's probably some uh late season rooster plans in the works um with that crew again but yeah we'll just you know it seems like every year i always say gonna you know try to tamp down the number of trips and then by the you know by the time summer gets halfway through it's the, the calendar's booked so and you guys were on that trip to aberdeen area you hunted mm -hmm. um, the community habitat um program in in the aberdeen area was that the first time you'd ever hunted that uh, yeah uh, that, that was really cool that whole aberdeen pheasant coalition you mm -hmm. know and um it's 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 fun to see community-based like access funding like happening mm -hmm. like that and I, and I hope, you know, like with a project that went so well, like, you know, they opened up 4,000 acres in year one. Um, and I think it's now being extended if I'm, you know, if I'm yep. correct. But um, I think as more states see how successful that is and how many hunters that brings into the community and, you know, and helps people like have places to go hunt kind of lowers that barrier to entry. Uh, I think, 
I think that could spread far and wide across the country as, as more people get involved. So that's a cool Yeah. One. Yeah. yeah. It, it really was a interesting or a fantastic um, initiative led in Aberdeen and it has expanded to uh, Mitchell. Uh, I think Huron has it now. So there's a couple of different communities in South Dakota that and it really dovetails, you know, people, the business community, all seeing the positive benefits of bringing in non-resident hunters and oh by the way better habitat more wildlife mm -hmm. cleaner water healthier soils it, it just connects all the dots together yep yeah it's a huge team effort right now yeah all right speaking of team effort we'll close with um one more shout out uh publiclandtees.com you'll look at the website uh for for josh and sam's business public land tees and you'll see conservation crossing right there it's the second header after the home page or after the home tab um click on that and you can sign up to become a member of pheasants forever mule deer foundation backcountry hunters and anglers national wild turkey federation delta waterfall all for 125 bucks you get memberships for a full year in all of them and a limited run t-shirt don't delay there's a thousand of them but there's limited sizes so if you want your size get on there in a hurry um and and check out some of these other designs when you're on there too i'll i'll point people again to the the fish taco for a good giggle um fellas sam josh thank you so much for for your commitment to conservation and spending an hour with me on uh, on this podcast yeah thanks for having us on yeah, absolutely. Just fantastic. So you guys, the work you do and the, the podcast is awesome. So All right. you bet. Thanks, fellas. All right, folks, uh, get on that website, sign up for Conservation Crossing and uh, get your membership renewed with Pheasants Forever and all those other organizations. Uh, I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks. <laughs>